Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How are we doing? We good? On this Labor Day weekend, I've already told you once to tell your face if you're joyful and happy. I'm not going to do it again because that would be mean, but you know, just, you know, just as a reminder there. But I'm glad you're here. I'm thankful that you're here today. It's a great day, great morning, great weekend. So welcome to those of you in the room. Welcome to those of you watching online today. We're thankful you could join us, unless you're joining us from somewhere exotic. And then we're jealous and we're mad at you. We'll see you next Sunday. But uh, I am thankful you're here. You know, yesterday football was on TV, and uh, that was fantastic. And it was a little bit of a chill in the air, so I went full fall. I don't know if what you did, some of you are wearing shorts and a golf shirt, but like I just went, I look like spring, but my sleeves look like fall. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, it's one of those days. You're not with me. That's okay. You'll, you'll get with me later. Uh, everybody likes a good quarter zip, so that's what I'm wearing today, but I'm thankful you're here, and uh, just, just honored that you would choose to be with us on this Sunday, and uh, what a great, great day it's already been. We're trusting God, believing God for a great day all day long, and uh, there's just so many great things that are happening within our church right now, uh, over the last week or so, and over the next week or so, most of our G groups are kind of launching for the fall. We had some signups a few weeks ago. And uh, some of them, they jumped in a little early because of just the need to finish a certain number of weeks or a specific type of curriculum. But it's not too late for you to get into any one of our groups right now. For the most part, there's there's about 20 or so, maybe a few more than that groups this fall. And uh, there's a couple hundred people that have already jumped into groups. And we would love for you to get into a group. There's a number of groups. I'm not going to mention them all. We've tried to do that over the the few the last few weeks, but I know like for, for instance, our divorce care group starts next Sunday, so it's not too late for you to jump in. We'd love for you to be a part of that. If that would be something that would be helpful to you and your healing and just the stage of life that you find yourself in. So divorce care starts next Sunday. We're also starting a brand new group on Sunday morning, right around this time. So in that nine o'clock service, it begins next Sunday with Ken Summers called Basics of Christianity. And I know sometimes when you come to church, there's an assumption that maybe you're supposed to know all the answers, uh, but that's not an assumption we have or we make for you. And so if you say, hey, I would love to just get some more foundational truth and understanding of God's word and what it means to follow Jesus Christ, if you walk into that group, there's not an assumption that you're a dirty, rotten sinner just trying to figure it out. Like everybody's just looking for answers. So we'd love for you to consider that Basics of Christianity group. That starts next Sunday. And then we have a phenomenal group for kind of those in really serious relationships that are headed towards marriage, those that are engaged, or those that are even newly married. Our young marrieds group, that is going to meet every other Thursday this fall. And then our young adults group meets every other Tuesday starting this next week. So if you're 18 to 25, uh, this is a perfect group for you. And then we've got a couple groups, if you're like 55 plus and looking for a youth group, we've got a couple groups specifically for you. We'd love for you to jump into one of those groups. So it's not too late for you to add a group, jump into a group. Uh, you can go in your phone right now to our church center app, to the website, look at all the groups that are available, click join, you'll get some information. We'd love for you to be a part of that. And then there's three quick things that I want to tell you about that are happening next Sunday, all of them next Sunday. The first of them is it's Baptism Sunday. It's one of our favorite Sundays of the year. We already have, I think, 11 or 12 people registered to be baptized next Sunday, which I'm so excited about. And so if you have recently made a first-time decision to follow Jesus, or you've made what we would call a recommitment, and you just want to go public with that decision to celebrate that, we'd love to celebrate with you next Sunday in baptism. And that gives you a chance. If you'll register, we'll be prepared to serve you and to celebrate with you well. 
And you can invite your friends and family for next Sunday for Baptism Sunday. And then where are all my grandparents at? Let me hear my grandparents, all right? Yeah, see, that was good. I was kind of expecting the grandparents prim and proper just to raise their hand. I got a woohoo right there from some grandparents. Next Sunday, you may already know this. I didn't know this until a few weeks ago. Next Sunday is National Grandparents Day. How many of you already knew that? I expected grandparents to know that. Okay, so you failed the test. I knew something many of you didn't know. Next Sunday's National Grandparents Sunday. And so we're Generations Church. We want to honor you uh, next Sunday. And here's how you can help me. If you will come next Sunday, grandparents, with a picture of your kids and grandkids. I'll tell you why when you get here. But just bring a picture of your kids and your grandkids next Sunday. I'd love for you to do that. Now, that may mean you got to run to CVS this week. It may mean you got to go to Walmart and get some pictures printed But I would love for you to bring an actual hard copy of some pictures of your kids and grandkids for next Sunday, Grandparents Sunday. And then the last thing next Sunday is we're starting a two-week series called When Prayer Happens. And uh, I've been really over the last few months, really since pretty much the beginning of the year, but for sure in the spring, really digging into this idea, this thought of prayer and what the Bible says to us. I've been reading a lot of scripture about prayer. I've been reading some books about prayer and I want us as a church family to dig in for two weeks into what happens when we pray. How should we pray? When should we pray? Why should we pray? And then when we pray, like when we pick up the prayer phone, what's happening on the other end of that? And so I want us to spend two weeks kind of digging into this idea. And I don't always say it like this, but I'm asking you if this is your church home and there is any way possible for you to be here two Sundays in a row starting next Sunday. So I'm preaching to the choir literally, but if you're watching online and you're not here, no, like just I want everybody here for the next two weeks so we can spend some time digging into what happens when we pray. So I hope you'll join me uh, in that. Today, it's Labor Day weekend, and I told you, you know, football was on TV and some of the neighborhood pools are starting to close down and the weather's getting a little chillier in the morning or in the evening But uh, it's Labor Day weekend, and you know, Labor Day is something that is really a celebration of kind of the American worker. If you go all the way back to its origin in the late 1800s, it became a national holiday in 1894 uh, after two years before, a few states began celebrating kind of through some of the labor unions and efforts. They began to celebrate and take a day off, and then 23 other states joined in. And then in 1894, they made it a, a national holiday. And, and when they did, it really gave kind of a, almost an ending date, figuratively, not exactly, but an ending date to summer. And so you, you kind of took a day off, and it created a long weekend. And so, you know, for, for some of you, if you're retired, or maybe you've still got to go to work tomorrow, it doesn't feel like anything different. But for others, perhaps tomorrow does, just it's just a long weekend, it's a lot of fun, it's an extra day, it's a free day, you're going to get some projects done, or again, go to the pool one more time, go to the lake one more time, whatever that looks like for you. But as we think about Labor Day, I really wanted us to dig into today for a few minutes into this idea of labor, of work, of our work. What do we, what do we put our hands to? What is it that we are trying to accomplish with our lives? And I was, I was looking at a few things this week, and I ran across this stat. The average adult worker uh, works just over 38 hours a week. Now, that's not just because kind of the 40-hour work week. It's just the average worker for an adult works somewhere around or just over 38 hours a week. So when you put that together with the average lifespan of an adult worker and the kind of time that they would give their life to some type of career... If you can do the math pretty quickly, you realize that that's about 90,000 hours in a lifetime that you spend on a job. 90, some of you, you just got real depressed. It's like, man, I hate my job, right? 
but 90,000 hours in a lifetime that we're spending on a job. And, and so that to me just reminds us that while you may not love every minute of your job, you should do something that you love. You should try to find your way into some type of arena, some type of effort, something that you can put your hands to that, that you do enjoy, that, that does leave you feeling fulfilled, that you use your passions and your gifts and, and maybe some life experience to really kind of pour yourself into something that at the end of the day, or maybe not every single day, but for sure by the end of the week or once a month or kind of the end of the quarter, you, you kind of look back and you go, yeah, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. And if not in this season, God, would you open that door, allow me to be faithful and fruitful in this season as you, as you look for another open door of what God would have for you. But I believe that you can love your work. That would have been a good spot for an amen, but I'm not expecting much there. You can love your work. Somewhere along the way, people started pushing this narrative that you had to hate your job, you had to hate work in general, or that work was a punishment from God. But I want us to look at this scripture here. This is in Genesis chapter 2. You don't have to flip there if you don't want to, because we're going to go a couple other places that we'll spend a little more time. But this is what it says in Genesis 2, verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The Lord God put the man in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Now, this precedes the tree and the fruit and, and even Eve. It's a verse here uh, where kind of this, this verse specifically in 15 comes just before 18, where God declares it isn't good for man to be alone. And then in verse 20, he gives Adam all the animals to name. And then in verse 21, we realize there's no suitable helper for him. And so at that point, God decides to create Eve from man, and now we have them together. And, and so we see that work precedes all of those things. So work wasn't a punishment. It was purposeful. It was something that God designed for Adam from the very beginning, that there was something purposeful about the work. Now, let's look at what happened after the fall, after the fruit, after the serpent. It says this in Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For dust, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Here's that toil of our work, the sweat of our brow. This idea that work is hard and that there are some things we have to push through. This is a part of the, the results of sin. That work in and of itself was purposeful, but that there was punishment to sin. And so it changes the narrative by which God designed humanity, that, that God's design always included work. But after the fall, it was toil, hard labor, and this battle with the ground to produce something from it. And so for all of us, as we, as we kind of think about what is it that God would have for us, today's not looking at a national holiday. It's just taking that to, to focus in on God's word. And what does God say to us about our work? Because when we give our lives to God, when we accept his gift of salvation, and we allow him to lead our lives, we can re-engage his purpose and his plan for the work in our lives. God said, I've got this garden 
And I want you to go and work it. I want you to go and take care of it. Now, I'm not great with gardens. I try to avoid them at all costs. But I think that there is something, the garden of our lives, that God is calling us to. That there's a purpose to the things we put our hands to. So if our work is purposeful, today with the time we've got, I want to look at three specific things that God can use work to do and to reveal in our lives. Here's the first one. Work can reveal your heart. Work can reveal your heart. Look at this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Everybody say all your heart. As working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance for the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Now, there are times in our lives, I'm not going to indict you, I'll indict me, but maybe this lands where you're living. There are times when we try to separate our lives into the sacred and the secular, right? We we try to say, hey, I'm going to live my life and what we're doing in here in a room like this, this is sacred. This is special. This is set apart. This is something unique. This is the fellowship of believers together. And so it's sacred and we recognize that. But then we, we kind of get out of this room and we get away from this place and we get away from some of these people. And what we do is we get into our cars and we drive home and we begin to anticipate what will happen in our work week. And those things aren't sacred, we, we, we assume. They are the secular parts of our lives. But, but I would remind us that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no segregation of our hearts. There is no separate parts of our lives. We are this integrated being body, soul, and spirit that that God gives to us to use for all of his purposes in our lives. And so we're commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. So we're not allowed to come in on Sundays and say, God, I'm going to give you 100% of everything that I am for like an hour or two on a Sunday, but I'm only going to give you like 25% of my heart on Monday. I'm only going to give you like 50% of my strength and my effort on Thursdays as I'm kind of anticipating the weekend and I'm thinking about finishing work. No, no, no. Work can actually reveal our hearts. And sometimes that may seem difficult, except that the Bible speaks to that too when it says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. It says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is. It's full of Luke chapter 6, verse 45, which is not on the screen. It tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It says that whatever you're storing up in there is going to be revealed through our words. And so it causes us to evaluate our words actually about revealing what's going on in our heart. And so when I started to think about that, I recognized that sometimes we talk about our jobs, and in doing so, we actually reveal how we view our jobs. So how do we talk about our job? How do we talk about the work that we're doing in our lives? How do we talk about our coworkers, right? Some of us, maybe not so, not so great. What, what do we talk about around the water cooler? Now, if you're younger than 45, you've never seen a water cooler in your whole life, so you don't even know what that means. What are we talking about in the downtime on our jobs? What kind of conversations are happening in the group text in your department, maybe among the managers, or among those that are below managerial level as we talk about, as we text about those who are over. Like, what are we talking about? 
if a third of our week, a third of our lives, give or take, is spent working, that gives us a pretty good glimpse of what's happening in our hearts. And so we got to do some evaluation. We've got to do the hard work and evaluate what's going on in our heart to see what God might be revealing to us through our work about the places of our heart that don't yet exemplify who he is and who he desires us to be. Now, before we jump ahead to something else, I recognize some of you are in the room, and I made light of it a few minutes ago, but maybe you absolutely hate your job. Like, you just know, like, I don't love what I'm doing. I'm just in it because I'm in it, but you don't love your job. Maybe it's a bad job. Maybe they're a bad boss. Maybe it's a bad fit, or maybe it's bad timing, but whatever the reason, you don't love it, and maybe it's even worse than that. Maybe you actually hate it. I ran across this picture recently. Maybe you've seen this. If you hate your job, just remember that there's a, a lifeguard at the Olympics. Like, I mean, you just, I mean, just got to feel like you're just stealing money at that point because, I mean, I don't really know. But like you just, maybe you hate your job. Maybe you just think, hey, I don't, I don't find purpose in what I'm doing. I, I don't see any good happening. I mean, I just get up and I drive there. Or I work remote or I kind of log in on Zoom or Teams or whatever. And I just like, I hate it so much. I recognize that you may find yourself in that season, but can I remind you today what I was reminded of a few weeks ago, and I've used a couple of times already to encourage some people around me, but it's this reminder, this great truth. Contentment is not a gift from God. Contentment is not a gift from God. Contentment is a choice you and I have to make. The gift from God is this day. He gives us this day. He didn't have to, but he gives us a day, this day, And then you and I have a choice of how we will view this day and whether or not we will be content in it. Now, contentment does not equal complacency. It doesn't mean that you got to live in a day and hate the day and hate the job and all, like, you can want to strive for more. You can want a better job and and you want to exercise more of your gifts and you want to find more fulfillment. I'm not asking you to be complacent. I'm just saying you got to choose contentment to recognize that God gifted you this day and he didn't have to. So what are you going to do with it? And so this day, I'm going to choose to be joyful and believing and recognizing that God can still work in me and through me and it reveals a maturity of my heart and a faith in Jesus because work reveals our heart. Here's the second thing. Work can reveal your character. Work can reveal your character. Look at this in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I remember when I was a little kid, my mom used to ask me this question. She used to say, who are you when no one is watching? Anybody's parent ever ask him something similar to that? Yeah, my, like, who are you when nobody's around? Who are you when nobody's watching? That, the answer to that question often reveals so much about our integrity and our character. So the relevant question today, based on what we're talking about, is am I the same person at home as I am on the job? Am, is my character the same, or do I you know, take some advantages of, of my work? Like, is, is it like, well, that's just my job. That's just, you know, somebody else's dime. I, I'm just going to, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting at my desk, so I mean, it doesn't really matter what I do. I'm going to take advantage of the time and, 
accomplish something? Am, am I the same person at home and on the job? Do I value the same things? Are the values of my life made known on my job? How is my character revealed through my work? Here's just a couple of questions that I, I wrestled with a little bit this week as I was putting some of this together. Like, how do I handle someone else's money? How do I handle someone else's equipment? How do I handle someone else's reputation? All of these kinds of thoughts and questions actually reveal our character and they help us to understand if our character is being developed and revealed through our work. Because we are these integrated people. That who we are at home, who we are in worship, should also be the person we are at our desk and in our cubicle and out in the truck and like doing the job in the classroom. Like we have to be the same kind of person. My pastor used to say all the time, Christ followers should be the hardest working, most faithful employees that a company has. I would take it a step further and say this, Christ follower business owners, bosses and managers should be the most kind, compassionate and merciful employers that a company has. If you're a Christ follower, it should be evident on our jobs. Now, that doesn't mean we don't make hard decisions. It doesn't mean you can't quit. It doesn't mean you can't take another job. It doesn't mean you can't make budget cuts, even if it results in someone else losing a job. You're called to be a good steward. You're called to be trusted with the resources, the people, and the equipment that have been entrusted into your care. But for all of us, we have to ask some of those questions to understand, what is my character on the job? And is it different than the character that I try to display in other times of my life? For us to be trusted with more, we have to be faithful with what we've been entrusted with. That there can't be this separation. No matter how large and how small, whatever we've been entrusted with, we've got to take great care of it. And so we work at it with all of our heart. We make the best coffee we can make. We mow the best grass. We write the best closing argument. We prepare the best lesson plans. We craft the best contract that we can. When I was in college, I, uh, I, I was working for a, a pizza company, delivering pizzas. I was high level, you know, driver, delivery guy. So that was my job. Just, just trying to survive, honestly. Just trying to make a little money. And uh, I, you know, I got the job for two reasons. One, they, they paid me in cash at the end of every shift. I also got a little bit of a paycheck, but they paid me in cash. I got to keep you know, most of my tips, and I got a little bit of a, a bonus depending on how many pizzas I delivered in a shift. And, and so I, I loved that I could have cash at the end of every night because it helped me to have you know, a little running around money. But I also loved it because at the end of every shift, I got to take a pizza home. So I wasn't going to starve. I mean, that was just really, and we're just kind of being honest, I just knew I was going to eat and I was going to get a little money. And, and I also worked it out to get my roommate a job at the same place. So now we had two pizzas every night, which was awesome, right? And now what do you do with the boxes? We weren't big into recycling, but we did recycle them. They became our, our end tables. We just stacked them up, threw a little cloth over them. We had end tables made out of pizza box, nightstands. You know, if I could have figured out how to make a bed out of it, I would have. But it's like, I, I worked at this pizza company and so I'm delivering pizzas and while I was in that job, which I didn't love, I didn't love it, I just did it, right? It wasn't going to be my long-term career. I wasn't planning to eventually be the CEO of the pizza company. I was just in it in that season, but like God radically intersected my story. He had always been there. He had always been tugging and pulling, 
and I'd really never given him full control of my heart and my life. And, and I had this really spiritual moment in a, in a church service one Sunday night. And so I went down to the altar, and if this was that room, it was like right over here in front of the stage, and I knelt down next to the stairs, and I prayed a really simple prayer. I said, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm in. I'll do it. I got up, and I went back to my seat, and I got my things together, and I went back to my apartment. And I got up the next day, and I went to class, and I got done with class, and I went to my job to deliver pizzas. And at the end of that shift, I went back home, and I remember calling my dad, and I was like, I don't get it. Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm delivering pizzas and I'm, I've had this spiritual high, this spiritual awakening. And like, what is it that I'm supposed to do? And he gave me incredibly profound advice. I've probably preached this phrase hundreds, if not a thousand times in my life. And he said this to me. He said, be the best pizza delivery guy that company's ever seen. Be the most faithful employee they have. Show up early, stay late, get the pizzas to people's homes on time, do everything that you are supposed to do on that job, just be as faithful as you know how to be, and when God needs you to do something else, he'll know right where to find you. Our work often reveals our character, and what my dad was saying to me that I'm trying to say to you today is, whether you love your job or hate your job, the assignment is the same. Be faithful. Let your character be at work. Let your character be on display. Allow the work that God is doing in you to be known, not just in a church service on a Sunday, but sitting at your desk on a Monday. Allow God to develop and display your character through your work, not in spite of it. Which brings us to the last thing. Work can reveal God's plan. Now, before I share a passage of scripture with you that kind of goes along with where we're going to land the plane today, I want to ask you a question. The question's going to be on the screen, and maybe, maybe it's something that confronts a place where you're kind of living in some beliefs and things that you're still wrestling through, but why do we believe that God is involved in the lives of people in the Bible, but not in ours? Why do we often believe that God is like intimately at work in someone's life when we read it through the pages of scripture? But we're just not as convinced that he cares at all about what's happening in our lives. Or that he's at work. Or he's working all things together for good. Or he's redeeming those broken moments. Or he's elevating and promoting those. That, like, why are we so convinced that he's at work in the lives of people in Scripture, but we just don't know if he's even paying attention to what we're doing? I think so many of us, we wrestle with things like that. I want to read a passage of Scripture in just a moment about a guy named Saul. Now, this is the Saul of the Old Testament. There's also a Saul that shows up in the New Testament, a guy you're maybe more familiar calling Paul. It's not that guy. This is a guy in the Old Testament who would become the first king of the people of Israel. Up to this point in history, they had been ruled by like warriors and prophets and judges, but the people looked around them at the other nations nearby and said, hey, we want a king. And so God speaks through the prophet at that time, and he's eventually going to raise up a king. But that's not how the story starts. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3 and 4 says this. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, 
but they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalem, but the donkeys were not there. And then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they didn't find them there either. Now, if you're familiar with this story at all, you may already know, if you kind of fast forward into the end of this story, you may know how this story ends. But as I was rereading this story in the last few weeks, preparing for our time today, I was reminded that like, this wasn't just like, hey, run down to the store. Like he had to get a servant and, and take supplies and go on a hunt, go on a journey. And it wasn't just like down the road. He had to take a journey, and it wasn't even that he got to the first town and found what he was looking for. He gets to the first town, there's nothing happening, then he goes to the next town, then he goes to the next town, and he still can't find what his father sent him to find. And so it seems like, man, this is just like this wasted journey, this wasted day, this wasted season. And maybe our jobs sometimes feel like that, where we're assigned a task and we don't see immediate success. Maybe some of the students in the room, you, you've said things sitting in an English class or a math class or some other type of class that you're sitting in. You're sitting in that class and you're saying, I'm never going to use this. Spoiler alert, you're probably going to use it more than you think, right? But maybe you said, and you're like, this is a wasted class. This is a wasted season. This is a wasted thing. It's pointless. It's fruitless. And it's frustrating. That's kind of where the story is right now for Saul as he's on the hunt for his dad's donkeys. So we pick up the story again in verse 14, and it says this. They went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel, the prophet of God, coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He would deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. And when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. When Saul started on this journey for donkeys, he did not know that it would lead to prophet or a God-appointed anointing. But it did. And it's the reminder to me that whether you're reading the pages of Scripture or you're looking at your calendar for this coming week, that sometimes God uses ordinary days to do extraordinary things. Sometimes God uses ordinary days to do extraordinary things. And you and I don't know at the beginning of the day if it's going to be an extraordinary day. We don't know. We don't know while you're drinking your first or second or third cup of coffee if today's the day that you walk up to the prophet and God's already revealed something to him about your future. You don't know in the morning when you wake up and you just want to sleep in and you want to call in and you want to get somebody to cover your shift or you're sitting in traffic another day and you're trying to question like, why do I have a job that's so far away? You don't know what God might do in the extraordinary realms of the heavens on what seems like an ordinary day to us. You just thought you were going to teach on a Monday morning, but God knew the kid that was going to walk into your class. You were disappointed you got turned down for another promotion, but God knew who was about to get transferred into that department. You're frustrated at how long the commute is, but God knows what he wants to speak into the silence of your car rides. You're on your third job in three years, but the skills you learned two jobs ago are exactly what your team needs right now. When we read the pages of Scripture, we are convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is intricately involved in people's lives. But we don't know how God is working out the circumstances of our lives in the day-to-day -day living, 
in the frustrations and the joys and the success and the disappointments and the demotions and the promotions, what might God be doing in our work? I think the answer to the question that we started this point with is like, why are we so convinced? Because we have the benefit of reading their story in total. We have the benefit of reading the story from beginning to end, seeing how all the details played out. But in our lives, we kind of got to live it day to day. We got to live it moment by moment, which means we've got to always come to a place of trust that we've been singing about today. God, I trust that you're going to work all these things together. You're going to connect all the dots here and make it make sense even when I can't make it make sense in my own head. When I'm not really sure what it is that you're doing, God, I just, I don't see how it all fits together. That doesn't diminish God's work in and through our work. So on this Labor Day weekend, I want to give us a prayer to pray. For all of us, this prayer is very simple. It's kind of one line. But maybe you jot it into the margins of your Bible or put it in your phone. The simple, simple prayer that God might use this week. God, how are you at work in my work? God, how are you at work in my work? And just meditate on that this week. Just think about it. Just pray it. Just think it. Just say it out loud in your car. When you come out of a bad meeting or you're walking into a good meeting, just pray this prayer. God, how are you at work in my work? And allow him to stir some things up in you, to give you confidence that he is at work in your work. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment before we close our time together today. If you're here today and you say, Jeremy, for me, I... I hear what you're saying, but I'm not actually in a relationship with Jesus Christ. For him to be at work in my life would would be me acknowledging that I actually need him to do a deeper work of salvation, forgiving my sins and being my Lord. And if that's not a decision that you've ever made, or maybe you made it a long, long time ago and you've done your very best to walk away from him, and today you want to recommit your heart and your life to him, I want to give you that opportunity. If you say, hey, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, I'm asking God to save me today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Anybody else? Anybody else? And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I just want to know that God is at work in my work. I see it. I'm aware of it, or I hope to be aware of it. I just want to know that God is at work in my work. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Just submit your heart. Yeah, absolutely. Tons of us today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today for all that you've already done and all that you will continue to do in and through our lives. God, I pray now for every person that lifted their hand, acknowledged in their heart and in their life that they need you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. We come to that moment of decision. So for those that have done so today, Lord, we thank you. We have an unbelievable amount of gratitude that you save. And so God, right now, I pray that you would do that forgiving work, sanctifying salvation work in their heart and life. And if that's you, I just encourage you, don't wait on me to pray it. You just say, God, forgive my sins and be my Lord. Make that commitment today, that declaration to him today. And God, today I pray for every hand that was lifted to say, I just want God to be at work in my work. I, I want to see it. I want to know it. I want to maintain that sense of confidence in who he is. God, I pray right now for every one of us that lifted our hands, 
God, reveal yourself to us on the job. Put people in our path that need to know and see you. God, let our character and our heart be revealed, our heart for you, the character that you're shaping and forming. Let it be revealed on our jobs. God, we'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.